welcome to How to Train Your Workforce, a podcast with practical tips to help level up the training plans in your organization. I'm your host, David King. Join me as I tap into the expertise of HR and training leaders to improve your workforce training. Change is a constant factor for any successful organization. Right now, it's likely your organization has several transformation projects underway. Yet despite this consistency, surveys suggest that the majority of transformation projects fail. A big part of the problem are your people. Whatever tools or platform or service you are changing requires additional change from your people. Yet people can be resistant to change. So in today's episode, let's dive into how HR and L&D teams can use workforce training to improve transformation projects. Today, we're joined by Bianca Stasevich from Humanitas HR. Bianca is passionate about creating great places to work. After spending 25 years in executive and senior leadership roles within some of the best businesses, including Bunnings and Rio Tinto, Bianca now partners with businesses to support their development of people strategies that fit for the future. G'day, Bianca. Hi, David. Thanks for having me today. No worries at all. We've just been warming up beforehand talking about all the little holidays we've had outside of Australia. Uh, And I guess we're recording this now in that period where people have been out and about a bit. You spent a little bit of time in Spain on those travels? Oh, definitely. It was so much nice to get away and great to be somewhere that's a completely different culture and just soaking up the atmosphere of somewhere amazing was so much fun. I feel exactly the same way having just got back from New Zealand and, you know, it was just great to be somewhere where things are a bit different, where I felt a way I had time to kind of get different perspective. And perhaps that's a cheeky way for me to segue into our topic, which We're talking about being in a different location, being in a changed location. Today's discussion we're going to have is a bit about change. It's around transformation in organizations and change within organizations and the role of learning in that. And I thought I might start by just saying, when we're talking about a transformation process or project, how would you define that? And for our listeners today, what's an example of that in their organization where they've got a transformation project? I suppose the big one that the moment is really around digital transformation. Um, I think a lot of organisations at the moment are really looking at how they get better efficiency um, or effectiveness around their team and digital is one solution that's quite often um, talked about in this space. So when traditionally there's other ways that organisations can transform but the most topical one at the moment that I tend to come across is people looking to put a digital solution in um, to complement what they're doing. I think I feel like digital transformation has been a part of our life for forever. It feels like to me. Uh, and I was I was thinking as I was preparing for our discussion, haven't we have we been doing digital transformation for so long that haven't we kind of sorted this out now? Isn't everyone know how to do this and they're all across it? Isn't this bread and butter now? You would think it would be by now, David, but I mean, the latest statistics that still come out is somewhere between tw- um, seventy and ninety percent of these transformations fail. So we're obviously not learning better ways on how to do this. And for me, um, that's that's a pretty sobering statistic when you think about, you know, there are ways that you can actually make these a lot more effective than what they are. It's, it's funny you should say that because the Forbes article I read preparing today, and I was going to ask you, research shows that 70% of transformation journeys fail. How? Why? why? What, what are some of the key reasons you've seen that they, that they fail? I think... Um, it's 
not always as simple as what they appear. So if we look at it in terms of the digital transformations that happen, um, and you look at a lot of the reasons that the people that spend a lot of time in this space, be it McKinsey or Forbes or others, talk about, it's how you engage the people as part of the transition and part of the transformation um, and making sure that there's enough um, investments set aside really to look at how you build capability for the future. Another key one I think, well, I, I personally have come across is how well is it communicated throughout the process as well to make sure that people are really informed and considered as part of the process. So they're probably the three big ones. But I think if you look at a digital transformation, they're all very people-oriented to pieces that um, tie into that that aren't always considered as part of the process. Well, maybe the terminology is wrong. I'm just as you were talking about that, we call it digital transformation, but and it's true that we are transforming perhaps analog processes into digital processes. But the thing that's really being transformed are the people. But we so, do call it digital transformation. So, I guess the IT teams heavily involved, and operations teams are heavily involved. Do HR and L and D teams get heavily involved in this? Do you think? Um, they should be. Um, Exactly as you mentioned, it is about the people. And a great analogy is if looking at um, if you've got a new version, if you're a pilot and there's a new version of a plane coming up, you would go through extensive training to learn how that plane worked um, and you would make sure that that person has the right skills to do that. Um, an organisation is no different. If you're putting in place a new system, you need to be making sure they've got the skills to be able to effectively do what they need to do um, and have the confidence behind them to do it. Do you think when organisations budget for digital transformation or, or any transformation process, they factor in the required budget for training and learning and people or do they just look at the cost of the subscription to the new platform or something like that? Is that part of the problem? There's just no budget for it from the start? No, companies do. Um, but I think we are, as we mentioned before, David, hung up on that word digital um, and the fact that, yes, it is a system piece, but that people impact is, is the main consideration around what succeeds and fails. So um, I think having people and culture involved really early in the conversation means that and having that voice as those decisions are being made will really help build out the ability to have, um, you know, better outcomes as a result. We'll probably get into the nuts and bolts in a few minutes, but um, do you think another part of the problem of, of why this failure rate is so high is that um, change is just hard in organisations of any type and a lot of organisation cultures just aren't supportive of change? Is that potentially a problem? I'm, I'm making a hypothesis there, so I could be wrong, but, but what have you seen? Are organisational cultures generally good with change? Um, some are better than others. I think how they've hardwired it into their culture and how that becomes how they operate is a key factor for how well they can adapt to change. But you, you're correct, David, change is hard and not everyone's going to like the change that occurs. And, you know, there's been some fabulous case studies over the years and I'd only have to mention Kodak, um, a company that was at the top of its game that didn't feel the need to change. Um, and what happened to them is a great example for why change is something that should be considered as part of any, any transformation that occurs. It's, it's here. 
um, is yeah. going nowhere. Um, not just outside of work as well. Change is one constant that we all have to deal with as humans, but it is something that is hard for a lot of people to deal with. Some people thrive on it. Some people hate it. And there's yeah. a nice spectrum between. I've often felt myself that businesses are like sharks and that they need to move to live. Um, and they, as soon as they stop changing, stop evolving, stop moving, that's when the business gets into inevitable trouble um, and they get caught out by change that occurs to them rather than the change that occurs from, from, from within. Um, if, if just to kind of wrap up on this final, these final thoughts, then I, I'm still fascinated by the stats that say 70% of transformation journeys fail. I mean, I can't, I can't think of any organization that accepts 70% failure rate on anything internal yeah. But I guess what we end up then is those that 70% fail, another way I might obtain is that they 70% partially succeed. They get some stuff done, but some other stuff not done. They probably implement some things wrongly or teach some best practices or it's inefficient or not fully utilised. Is that another way to think about this? Yeah, there are some positives. I think any step that improves a situation, particularly for people and the workforce, is has got to be a positive thing. So if you've got to look at maybe the measures that they put on it, don't yeah. always measure exactly the outcomes that they're looking for. Um, you know, it's mainly take up a system, looking at um, a range of metrics around that space, but maybe the metrics need to be looked at a little bit differently and look at um, the impact on the people and look at how well um, the change has been vetted in and what training's been done. Could be other metrics to consider as part of the process as well yeah. instead of the more hard ones. You'd certainly think that, I mean, organisations, if they need continuous change, would want success here. So they want to find ways in which things have succeeded in order to support future transformation projects, not to get anyone, you know, risk averse to this, this sort of change. So maybe as we go through today's discussion, we might explore some of those KPIs or things that we can think about as well if we come, if we come back to that. That's right. So let's frame it up then. So we've got transformation processes occurring in businesses, digital transformations one, but it could be anything that involves organization, structural, process-driven change. We've got this very high failure rate, which means not 100% success. And we really want to focus in today on that, that role of kind of HR and L&D, what they can do to improve this transformation process from their side of, of things. So Bianca, where should we begin? What's, what's the first thing organizations could think about or the first step for them here? We, we touched on it a little bit earlier, but I really believe that HR needs to engage early um, in the process and be engaged early in the process. Um, for people and culture practitioners out there, don't wait to be asked. If you know that there's a, a big change project or a transformation project coming, get involved, find out what's going on and really look at starting to leverage the benefits that is from being involved in these processes early, um, from really looking at how we can improve those success rates and making sure that the things that need to be considered are early enough so that they are budgeted for and are considered as part of the process. Just from practical, if we're going to talk, talk tax, um, should the HR L&D team have to fund the learning and the change part required here out of their HR L&D budgets? Or is this something that they should be getting in early on and saying, look, if we're going to do this, there's huge people change. This project needs budgets for us to do with it. I could see that being a sticking point internally. So any thoughts on how that should be managed? 
So different organisations work that slightly differently. Um, some, oh, depending on and depending on the scale of the transformation that's going to be occurring as well. So um, it is budgets are always a challenging time because you want to make sure that you're getting the right outcomes for the team to actually deliver on what you need to do, and that might mean given depending on the size and scale of the change, that some of your budget might be funneled into that. Ideally, it is budgeted as part of the project um, to get the maximum benefit though. But I do understand that the realities of um, how some HR and operations or organisations operate mean that's not always the case. But that early intervention means at least people are thinking about it and are aware and making more considered decisions early on. Yeah. I guess internally in organizations, um, someone somewhere in the organization said, we need this change. And it could be it could be IT, it could be ops, it could be a business manager, someone. And they formed a project team and they're working on it. And then HR L&D turns up, knocks on the door and says, hey, can we join the party? Um, how, how does HR or L&D position themselves in those early stages? If they hear about something happening, how do they engage in a positive way so they're not the ones just coming in complaining or you know, demanding budget or any of those negative things, how do they get involved in a positive way early? Well, I think even looking at, you know, the statistics that we're speaking about earlier, if we can even get a 20% upswing on the success rates um, from what we're talking about with the digital transformation example, what a benefit that would be to the organisation um, in terms of utilisation and efficiencies and also better practices being done. So by talking through data that's going to speak to the people who are making the decisions means that HR is going to have more impact in there. Um, and that's reality. Anyone um, who works in an organisation at a senior level needs to have a level of financial literacy and digital literacy. And part of that means being able to talk through your business cases to why um, your area as L&D or HR needs to be um, not only have a seat at the table, but be really a big decision maker around how this prog program rolls out as well. I guess HR have got that um, and L&D have got that position where they're probably, if, there's, if there are multiple change projects underway, they are probably the one who has the seat at all of the tables. Mm -hmm. And so in a, a degree, understand the level of change that is planned mm -hmm. or happening which can be important because I guess organizations need to monitor how much change they're pushing through or how much transformation is happening at once, right? And is HR in a position to kind of help with that? Definitely. So one of my clients recently has 20, 20 current pro projects on, um, all with the same, leading to the same um, end output, and which will be a huge improvement for the organization. But out of all of them, there is a training element that weaves through each of those projects um, that then ties into a broader plan around learning and talent that being considered as well. So it's really important that um, that has a similar voice and helps support the overall aims of the project and that each project doesn't work in isolation around that. Um, and that way there's a more consistent communication around the why so that the team who are experiencing the change um, are really understanding of the why that change is needing to occur. Um, I'm also a really big advocate of human-centred design and really helping people, um, you know, 
make sure that they see the change is done with them, not done to them, and involving the team um, as early as possible in any change or transformation process is key to really get those good outcomes as well. Yeah, I guess earlier I said change is hard, but I imagine unexpected change is even harder. Um, So the more comms you get about it earlier, the better. I'm just thinking about some of our listeners who might be a HR team in a smaller organisation where internally perhaps the HR team are viewed as recruiters. Um, And um, how have you got any tips for those HR teams that may not have yet be viewed as a business partner or naturally invited into these meetings? Just to go back perhaps to an initial question I asked, is there anything else they can do to help position themselves internally as a key business partner to get in on this earlier or to be alerted earlier? So they're not the ones having to like figure out what's happening that they don't know about, but actually the organization's coming to them. Are there any tips there about just generally positioning as more of a business partner? Recruiters in particular, they're a really valuable role within the organisation and as a result of that, they get to build some fabulous relationships with key people right across the organisation. Those relationships are key. So it's a great inroad to have conversations with people around that um, to really get their buy-in around the value that can be added. Um, And use external people too. No one expects everyone to know everything. Um, I've worked in organisations where I've been the sole HR practitioner. I've been in an organisation where I've led 300 HR people and a team. So I've I've worked in both. And in both, the big learning that I got early on is don't be an island. There's people around that can support you. There's people around that can bring the expertise so that you can be the face for the organisation to help them drive this change. That, that's really good advice. I think, I think the key takeaway for me here is that you know HR does need to get in early. Doesn't wait to be asked, because at the end of the day, if HR is finding out as the project gets rolled out, they are the ones that will be left dealing with the problem, um, yeah. which is suddenly training is needed or not needed, and people are complaining and lower engagement by staff who are frustrated, things like that. So they're definitely motivated to get in earlier. Once they've got in early ideally. Mm-hmm. What's the next step for them? What's something else that we can be doing in this round, this area of learning and, and, and transformation? So a big one for me is the realisation that change is here to stay. Change is a constant and educating and getting the team comfortable with that is, is a really key part of um, the remit of any people and cultural learning team at the moment. Um, and finding ways to make that change easier and get people more comfortable with it sooner so you're going to get better outcomes is is something that should be a really key focus and I think will really help set up transformation projects to have better success at the end. It it probably probably goes to my earlier comment of organisational values, organisational culture that supports change is obviously going to make transformation process easier. So what what can you do in L&D or or, or HR around creating that feeling? Is this this training? Is it more than that? Yeah, training is one element of it. And I think um, really making sure that there is training for people around what different change models exist or what one the organisation wants to go with and um, getting them familiar with the concept is great. There's also a wide range of other things that can be done by the team, really looking at 
Um, going back to the point we were discussing before, David, around how do you build something that's done with them, not to them? So running different workshops, we're there empowered to be part of the solution and part of the decision process, um, which I think is a great way for L&D in particular to position because they have the expertise in facilitation and moderation and can really help bring some of these areas to life and make sure that people are engaged and included in being part of the decision of what the future looks like. Yeah, it's both very interesting points. I don't, I don't see a lot of organizations actually running training on change and how to live in a changing environment or innovation or decision-making theory or those sort of things. Um, I mean, we, uh, in our own platform, we have those sort of modules ready to go. And uh, I, I guess, I guess they're seen as anything about preparation for something that might happen in the future, but may not happen in the future. I feel like it's parked by organizations. So it's not the preparation works not there. So I totally agree with you. You know, if you want to build an innovative culture, you've got to start by getting people's minds innovative and open to innovation and, and ready for that and ready That's for that change. Interesting observation too, David, because I also think that, you know, by preparing people well, you're going to make that change easier for them. Yeah. Um, and it's better to treat something up front rather than once it becomes a much bigger problem down the track. So let's help set people up to succeed. I think anything that's going to help educate and train them to, to be um, more better at what they need to do is, is, a, is a valuable thing. I agree. It's the prevention is better than the cure. I, I, I always get frustrated with organisations that say, oh, we've, we've had a difficulty implementing this thing and there's been no training in the last two years for staff on change management, on being innovative, on productivity and managing their time or dealing with stress or any of that. I think businesses make the assumption that we can handle that, but and maybe some people can, but geez, stitch in time. You know, if they'd just done that training earlier, they might have prevented a lot of problems now or paved the way for it. Plus, had those more innovative staff along the way, it might have uncovered a million other things that they could fix and improve uh, along the way. On the workshops part, does everybody need to be involved in workshops for upcoming change? Can we just use a like a selective group, a focus group? We've got a big employment employee list can we take 10 people out and put them in a workshop and they can be representative of the wider i probably have a view that you want to be putting the decision as close to the customer or as close to the person that has to make that decision as possible and if you're putting in a system that impacts everyone that my preference is that everyone is involved in some way that i might look different depending on different roles but that engagement piece is something that's really important so that they have buy-in and want to be part of the future and want to be part of what that change is. So picking out a select group, there's some, you know, there's obviously people that are going to shine and you want your fast followers and your people that are really adaptive to change to help drive the change for you. And they're really important people to help be advocates for what the change is. But you will, engaging everyone means that everyone's empowered to be part of what the future is. And there was even an article in the paper today talking about how people are leaving high-paying jobs because they're not being involved and they're not being included and they're not being considered as humans as part of change. Yeah. And this is a simple way to do that and to feel give them some power around what the future and the change looks like. It is, um, it's a really good point, actually, that, perhaps the modern workforce, which gets so much communication and on in life, 
and has mm -hmm. access to so many things when they feel a part of that's cut off it must feel like they've lost an arm right it's like you know, i'm not used to that maybe different from a workforce of 50 years ago which sat more isolated in their cubicle or didn't didn't know what they didn't know um or weren't conditioned to it that's a really good point actually maybe the modern workforce is now so used to information when they don't get it it'd be the problem um, yes. yeah is from an organizational point of view are there any other elements of culture which the HR L&D team can control or influence that help with change in addition to the, the training here? Is this a recruitment thing, a KPI thing? Is it a remuneration thing? Are there other aspects here outside of training which they could do something with to better support Definitely projects like of transformation? Any transformation, um, a, a good HR team will be going back and looking at the whole employee life cycle and really looking at what the, what parts of the change are going to impact in at which part of the life cycle. So um, for change to be sustainable, I'm a big believer that you really need to have not only the right frameworks in place and the systems to support that and the processes. So if you're trying to talk about a new way of doing things but you haven't changed how the process works in the background, that change won't stick. Yeah. So being able to make sure that you're going back and reviewing the way that things are done across the organisation and making sure that there's not that contradiction that comes up as a result is really going to also, I think, help change um, the way that things are done and make sure the stickiness of the change will be um, a lot a lot more prevalent than if you don't go back and review, you know, what recruitment looks like, how we manage performance, um, how people are remunerated and all the other range of things, how talent's identified and how you want to run the organisation into the future. That's a really interesting point. It just, it just, we'll probably go off on a tangent here for a second, but it really made me think that when, going back to our earlier point of success rates in change management, and if we were to say of 100% of the success of change of a transformation project, what makes up the 100%? Is it 20% is, is training the employees and 15% is the organizational values and 35% is the quality of the new platform that's chosen or whatever. I don't know what those numbers are and they're probably a bit different for everything, but is there something in that for organizations to sit down and say, okay, of 100% of change, or success in this, sticky success, as you say, is it worth thinking about those percentages? Because it might more clearly articulate that it's not all just, did we get the platform launched by this date with all the data migrated, but there's actually a lot more to it. Is that something worth thinking about? I love that thinking, David. And I think as you, as you rightly pointed out, it's going to look slightly different in each organisation, but I think coming back to our point around engaging early and being part of those conversations and getting it on the radar that this is more than um, just putting in place a new system, for example, means that there's going to be more consideration for, well, what does success look like? Yeah. Not just around the tech part, but around the organisational components as well. And maybe by measuring it earlier, we're going, there's going to be better input into it to drive better outcomes at the end yeah i've really just been thinking it through as we've been chatting that this kind of pie chart people could have in that very first meeting right we're implementing this new thing 100 success comes from success comes from what and that's where they have to say well there has to be some people involved well how do we make them successful it's these things here 
it'd be really fascinating sort of discussion to thrash out in an organization and would probably highlight to a CEO or a COO or something like that, that the budget, the time, the success is more than just the actual tools that are, that are changing themselves. I probably yeah. did divert there for a little bit. So let's get back on track. No, uh, what are you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, we're, we're doing a bit of digital transformation here in one area. Now I'm, now my mind's really ticking over on on what I could do in that in that space myself. Let's let's move on to a, a third thought or a third idea you might have. HR gets in early. Um, they help build a, a culture and attitude that changes here to stay. It's not temporary. We want the sticky change. It's kind of something that stuck with me here. Um, what's a third thing that organisations can do? You touched earlier on a point around innovation, and I think. And we talked a bit around Kodak and the disruption thing. I think exploring better ways. There is not a single industry out there that is not being disrupted continually. And the pace of change is increasing all the time. So I think if you look at those two elements at play, it's looking at, well, how do you explore better ways from how things have always been done? And that has to be a part of really building in what the future looks like too. So um, one example might be um, an organisation might do a day where they teach about change. Um, maybe that could be done through micro-learning and looking at different ways to embed that message in um, so that there's a, a different way that people can learn around that. Um, it's really looking at how you bed down the processes around the change that you want to have happen as well and also build that culture of innovation um, through engaging the team in the decisions and what the future looks like. I guess it's, it's a point of kind of eating your own dog food. If, you know, the, it's, we need to look at the way we deal with, the way we deal with and roll out and manage change within an organisation is also changing. Yeah. As, as yeah, that point I mentioned earlier that the workforce of 50 years ago versus the workforce of today probably have very different expectations about transformation and change and how they want to be involved or, or not involved. Um, can we tease out some practical things they can do here? So I like the micro learning. I actually think you build culture by rep repetition and therefore micro learning is good for that or at least smaller pieces of learning on a more consistent basis than the, the one big event. Um, are there other things businesses can do to kind of that you've seen or other innovations in this area to help build this way? Yeah, so micro-learning is a key one, completely agree. Um, and if you look at communication during a transformation, they say that ten you need to be saying the message 10 times more than what you think you are before it's heard because different people will be hearing it in different ways. So that consistency across the leadership team in how they message things, how they engage that messaging through learning is a key way to help drive the change and to embed that change in. So making sure that the key messages of what the transition or transformation piece that you're going through um, is really better down with the learning and making sure the messaging flows right through the learning piece is a key component of it for me. Um, and that innovation, how are you engaging people in innovation? Um, and is that something that sits with one person in your organisation or is it something that you're trying to build right across your organisation um, and really challenging these structures and ways that things have been, and how things have been done is another way to really look at, well, if you need to drive a culture that's continually learning, continually um, adaptive and continually looking at new ideas, how are you engaging your broader workforce to do that? 
I, I was just thinking then, I, I was just imagining an alien race where change is constant, would not have a problem with a transformation project because they are so used to change. Um, but an organization here on planet Earth, of course, which has been very stable, finds change very difficult. And that's purely because of what we're used to and what we're, what we're looking at. So I, I get your point here on this consistency in talking about change, even if there's no transformation project happening right now, we're still talking about it, finding ways to push it out, keeping ourselves innovative. Ken, does our um, you know work from home, remote work, hybrid work, whatever work we're going to call it, experience from the last few years help with this? Is this the sort of thing where you can see an organization set up a Teams channel when a bit of change is happening temporarily? Just any questions about this thing that's changing, go into this team channel. We can all see it. We can all answer it or a wiki or a hub or a confluence thing or whatever it is, even if these are temporary sites to help people get to get through it. Is that sort of thing that people can do as well in this kind of innovative space of how we manage change? I, I call them feedback loops and I look at how you're getting the right feedback loops in from your team and from your customers. Um, and that's not just about, um, for me, they're traditionally the feedback loop has been the employee engagement survey, but that can be so much more. Um, and how you really engage your team to build that culture where it's okay to um, challenge and it's okay to really drive um, ideas, not even just the team, gauge your customers um, in what that innovation needs to look like. Um, but always looking for how do you continually improve on what's currently there has to be part of any modern organisation. Um, or else I think my personal view is there becomes a point where the, their relevance over time will be minimised because they're not always looking for how are they continually improving and exploring better ways that things can be done. Yeah. We, we recently had an experience here where we made our development roadmap for the platform public uh, for the first time so that customers can see kind of what we're working on right now in the next three months and then what's kind of further down the track. And we just put a note on there as the people are reading the roadmap. It's on a public website. Uh, if you see anything on the roadmap you think you're interested in, definitely let us know and, you know, we'll what features you're expecting to see or what you want to see. That's amazing. I mean, people instantly wrote mm -hmm. in and solved a whole lot of problems. We're like, mm, should we put this thing in or not? No, it's pretty obvious from the feedback we should. Uh, that just giving them that opportunity, that channel, that feedback loop, as you say, to do that. Love it. And the diversity of thought that you've got from engaging with people in a different way and with a different group of people than who have traditionally made the decisions will mean you've probably come up with something that was even better than what you originally expected. Yeah. It's part of the, just thinking out loud now through the discussion we've had is I, I feel like, um, I'm not sure the right way to describe it, but there's a, there's a meta thing to this where we're talking about change and the discussion we're having today is involving a lot of change in the way we deal with change. There's like, it's like almost inception, right? There's layers and layers here. And, and I feel like the role of L&D in a lot of what we've discussed is just general training around change and innovation and culture that supports that or or KPIs or remuneration or discussions that support that, regardless of whether there's a transformation project underway. They're just constantly preparing the firm for this. And maybe part of that is because there's just constant change these days. Is that, have we got to that point where businesses aren't static for 10 years then have a big bang? They just go constant iteration. So you need constant ability to deal with transformation. Are we kind of at that point? 
There's some organisations, yes. I think there's some that are very proactive and I was really fortunate probably about four or five years ago I was spending some time in Silicon Valley for a few weeks and looking at what some of the big tech companies are doing and how, they, how they've tried to build cultures of innovation and, you know, that constant change. And they're, they're well positioned um, to do that. But I also think you can see great innovation in that change piece in smaller organisations as well um, and how they engage and listen to drive that change is, is really, really the big part of it for me um, and how they really look at, um, yeah, change, as I said before, change is here to stay. Um, the pace of change organisations might make some decisions around how much change they're pushing through at a period of time and I think that's really around having a really good connected executive team who understand the impacts and understand which levers to pull when and which processes to push forward and which ones to hold back on and make sure it's done in a, in a managed way. But, yeah, change is a constant. I look Even if you look outside of workforce, um, and an organisation, I think society as a whole, there's there's more change in how things are done and how we operate. So that's it's a good skill to learn even for life, um, as well as within the organisation, that prevention rather than cure that you were speaking about before, David. I agree. I know as a CEO, one of the things I work really hard on myself, um, I often feel there's much to be done. So I'm looking forward and listing out the 20 more projects we need to do and in exec meetings, talking about all these things we've got to do, what I'm trying to do a better job of is stopping and looking behind me and realizing all the 20 projects we've recently done, and perhaps we're just all exhausted and actually just need a bit of a break for a little while, because there will always be 20 projects ahead of us to complete. We will never reach the end of that, of that journey. And so if we just keep going, thinking at some point this will end and we'll get a break, we may never get a break. So that balance, that management of change is something I work I'm trying to improve myself on and take that time to look backwards and see what we've done as well as look forwards to see what's come and what's coming up ahead. Definitely. And the things you say no to as an organisation are just as important as the things you say yes to. And yes. Yeah, yeah. I think being really mindful that saying no is sometimes really powerful and not going ahead with things at the right, you know, saying no to the right things that you need to is a really important element of being part of an exec team as well. Yeah, actually, I think if I want to take one message away from today, I think that ability for business to say no to something and schedule things up in the right order or realise they have to make choices and priority is super important. Bianca, we have gone through a lot of stuff. We have. Uh, I'm going to let our listener digest on that for just a minute. And we're going to make a little diversion. And on all of the podcasts that uh, I do, I ask my guest to share three bits of information that I think our listener and everybody could benefit from. And then I'll do a bit of a summary of some of the key things I've heard today, but let's have a bit of fun and just change topics for a little while. Bianca, what's a tip an organization can use to help get training prioritized inside the organization? Um, I think a lot of what that you're hearing at the moment is make it engaging. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean fun, but make it engaging so that people want to be there. Yeah, I, I do think there's something with that. I, we often talk about getting training prioritised or getting more budget. It's kind of supply-led, but I think demand-led is the best. If mm -hmm. if your employees are saying, we want more training, we enjoyed that training, we want more of it, if they're saying that out loud in 
employee feedbacks, employee surveys, that definitely gets training prioritized, agreed. Can you think of a status quo in workforce training that you'd like to see overturned? Um, there's a lot There's a lot that works, but there's also a lot that needs to change. And I think um, really back to that better ways and micro-learning and looking at that repetition piece is something I think um, needs to be considered more. I totally agree. I think events, events led training, as in an event, should die. Um, <laughs> I, I, I do not learn to play tennis in one day. I go to tennis coaching every week for a year to learn to play tennis. And at work, it should be the same thing. I cannot learn something new in one day. I need the opportunity to think about it, try it again, get repetition and reinforcement. Totally agree. And micro-learning is fabulous. Like if you're heading into a difficult conversation, you know, just having a recap on what are three things to remind myself to, to set up to go into that meeting more prepared. A fabulous way for a leader or frontline leader just to just reinforce what they're doing and making sure they're tackling in the right way is a great, you know, little example. Love it. Uh, can you share with us a, a favourite resource about training, a book, person, industry group, something that's helped you in this area that you'd like to share with the listeners? Um, I always I always love um, experience by doing. So I love getting in and looking at different organisations and how they do things. No two organisations are the same. Um, so I really encourage people to get out there and talk to their peers and to share. Um, it's something that traditionally HR teams tend to keep information close. Yeah. Um, I would love to see um, going and sharing information or speaking with others around what's possible um, and getting a bit curious. I've had a few uh, HR managers on this pod who've revealed some things that they've done, internal training courses. And I feel like for them, they're almost revealing like secrets. And I'm like, no, 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 this isn't, there's no competitive disadvantage or advantage here from it because it's all the implementation and use of it. And it's going to go out to non-competitors. I, I totally, I totally agree. I, whenever I go to a HR conference, I wish there was more of that, less keynote speakers and more opportunity to share or networking groups or, have someone facilitate a discussion. This is what we're going to talk about. Come in and all the HR people share around the table, something like that. Okay. That's where we, we do a few of them in Perth and they're fabulous. Um, and it just gets people curious. They can put topics in and it's a great way to share in a non-threatening space um, as well. Perfect. Here's what I've heard today. We have spoken about um, transformation projects in organisations and you know, whatever the statistics are, there's a very high failure rate. Uh, it's not as simple as people think. People don't get involved and the comms aren't great are kind of three big reasons. And while the failure rate's high, we could view it as partial success. So there is some success in there, just perhaps not the full success that, that we wanted. And Bianca, you've given us three really big themes for organizations to work on. So the first one is that HR needs to engage early. People are critical to transformation success and if HR are only waiting until they're asked it's probably too late the, the change will be happening already so we're off to a bad start and they don't have time it's coming at a bad point they may not have budget for it so HR needs to get in early agree some budgets engage positively talk about the data of failure and the success that they can bring uh, by engaging as a team with HR HR can also help monitor and kind of be a bit of a traffic control across multiple projects that are happening or give at least feedback or advice to executive teams on that. And HR definitely needs to be seen as a business partner, not just a recruiter in this respect. 
Uh, next is changes here to stay. So the other thing HR and L&D can be doing is helping create that culture of sustainable sticky change that you mentioned. And that might be providing more regular training on change models, running workshops with people involved in change processes. Uh, I love that point about um, we want to put the decisions around change as close to the end user as possible. And HR is in a good position to help run surveys or help run focus groups or help bring in that end user close to the the point here. And also, I thought that point you made on checking that change is consistent through the employee life cycle is really important for this sticky change. We don't want contradictory messages or change only occurs here, but actually something completely different happens earlier in the process. And then finally, we've got to eat our own dog food is what my the way I summarized it, uh, which is where uh, as, as, as learning HR professionals, we have to look at how we can share all this information about change and perhaps there are better ways to do it from micro learning, uh, multiple com mm -hmm. methods, the Teams channels we mentioned, or those feedback loops, anything where we're retaining our own innovation as HR and learning professionals in the way that we roll out change in a very consistent basis. How did I go? Did I miss anything there, Bianca? You feel pretty good uh, about you that? Summed, you summed it up perfectly, David. Well done. <laughs> I've got an excellent mind map in front of me, so I'm pretty happy with uh, that discussion. Bianca, it's been an awesome discussion. I know my mind is turning over on two things. One was a change issue we recently said no to and kicked down the road for nine months, and now I'm feeling like I was just awesome for making that decision. Uh, and secondly, a change thing we're dealing with right now, and I'm having that thought of the pie chart as to what will make success in this. Part of it is this new platform we're getting, but I can see part of it's got to be other things and we've got to revisit that. Bianca, I know people would love to follow up with you. People in Perth, no doubt, would love to come into some of those Perth meetings you just mentioned. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you after this? Okay. Um, the best way to get in contact with me is um, just either through LinkedIn um, or feel free to give me an email at bianca at humanitashr.com.au or pick up the phone. Always happy to have a chat on 0413 But, yeah, great chat today, David. I've really appreciated it and learned a lot myself as well. It's always good to stop and talk about things, even when you are an expert on them because you do get a chance to challenge yourself. So I'm really pleased to hear you say that. I had an excellent discussion. Thanks again, uh, Bianca, for that. Listener, if you haven't subscribed to our podcast already, why not? Now's the chance to do it. Somewhere on the screen of the device that you're listening to will be a button to subscribe. It's the time to click it. Once you've clicked it, you can then join us for another edition of How to Train Your Workforce real soon. You all have a great day. Mm -hmm.